Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we have added question box to hear our community's thoughts on our episodes, polls to ask questions on what they think, and so much more. We highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Bienvenidos a la segunda temporada de Soy Violento Soy Macabro podcast. Woohoo! Yeah. Hey everyone! Hi! We're back! <laughs> yo soy Ali. Y yo soy Dee. Y en el primer episodio de esta temporada, Dee les contará de un caso que sucedió en Jalisco y Guanajuato. En los años 50, encontrar empleo en la capital era solo un sueño para muchos campesinos. Pero cuando las hermanas González Valenzuela llegaban a sus hogares, proponían buenos empleos y sueltos altos por llevar a sus hijas a trabajar a la ciudad. Les prometían trabajo, empleo doméstico y mucho más. Los padres aceptaron la propuesta, pero a los pocos años, las hermanas González Valenzuela, o más conocidas como las Poquianchis, fueron acusadas y arrestadas por haber cometido uno de los crímenes más atroz de la historia de México. Este es el caso de las Poquianchis. Advertencia. La información de este caso puede ser desencadenante para algunos. Tenga en cuenta que algunos de estos casos pueden involucrar menores de edad, abuso, violación o violencia. Escuchen con precaución. Warning. The information on this case can be triggering to some. Please be advised that some of these cases may involve children, abuse, rape and violence. Listen with caution. Dice, mira chula, este, te voy a ceder el permiso, coste que no se puede dar ya ningún permiso para esas casas, solo las que hay. Pero si tú accedes a ser mi amiguita y que cuando yo te llame, tú, tú vayas. Le digo, no, pero así de, nomás de palabra no es válido. ¿Qué se te ofrece? No, pues que usted me haga aquí un papelito escrito y me lo firme, que me cede usted el permiso. Y le puso su firma y le puso el sello. Delfina María de Jesús, Carmen y María Luisa son más conocidas como las hermanas Torres Valenzuela. Nacieron por eso del 1912 y 1927. Nacieron en el Salto, Jalisco y eran parte de una familia caracterizada disfuncional. Su padre Isidro Torres, un político del gobierno y un porfirista machista y alcohólico, Maltrataba a su esposa y a sus hijas. Fue conocido como un policía abusador a su autoridad. He would also imprison his daughters for wearing makeup or dressing inappropriately. Wait, he would what? Imprison. So he would take his daughters to prison because he was a police officer. What? So he would, yeah. So he would literally arrest his daughters and put them in jail 
because they were wearing makeup and clothes he found inappropriate. And no one else in like the questions it like nothing. He no. w- wow. <laughs> I know. Okay. And, and it only gets worse. <laughs> of course it does. Yeah. As punishment, he would lock them up in the town jail to teach them a lesson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was also he would also obligate them to watch him torture prisoners that he would capture to teach them basically how he would treat people that would commit crime. Throughout their childhood, they witnessed a lot of violence violence. and abuse. Yeah. Wow. From his dad being abusive to them, to their mother, and to prisoners. So this is like the beginning of a horror movie, basically. Su madre, Bernadina Valenzuela, era una fanática religiosa. She would attend church every day and pray every day. When her daughters told her about the abuse of her father and what they would see um, her fa- their father do to these prisoners, the only response she had was just pray about it. There was no, like, let's leave. There was no, like, you know, behave. Nothing. There was just like... Like, this is not okay. Like, yeah. nothing. Just pray. Just pray. Because that solves... Because that really solves everything. (laughs) She would also have a lot of mistreatment from her husband to the point that one day he imprisoned her in jail for no reason. And she stayed in prison for a whole year just because her husband... ¿Todo un año? Her husband wanted her to be in jail. And that's the only reason she stayed in jail. So what happened to this dad (laughs) when he was little? I mean... I mean, what? you have to think about it. It's around the 1900s. Yeah. yeah. And it was the time where, like, a lot of changes were happening and men were very machistas. Yeah. It was in Mexico and women were, like, quote-unquote, obligated to do Era normal todo el comportamiento así de ellos. Yeah. So, based on that, this, like, at current times, it makes no sense. Oh, yeah. But in those times, you kind of know, you know, it was something, quote-unquote, normal during those times. Carmen, one of the younger uh, children, um, decided to run away with her boyfriend, llamado Luis Jasso, who was much older than her during that time. Her father, being a machista, went for looking for her and finally found her. And his punishment was to drag her from where she was escaping to, take her back to El, uh, to Jalisco, and imprison her. That was his form of punishment towards mm. her. He gave her also a really bad beating in that process. He placed her in jail and punished her. And during this time, he was with the fury that he had because his daughter was trying to escape. He actually went and shot a fugitive that he had found right in the back. In Mexico, around that time, le dicen el tiro de la traición because usually people would shoot at each other face to face. Mm-hmm. And he decided to shoot him from the back. So, mm. le, le dicen el tiro de la traición. So, as soon as he did that, he noticed that the townspeople were going to try to dethrone him from the position that he held. Okay. So, he decided to take his whole family and move just leave and during that process they actually left Carmen in prison I know <laughs> yes they say that she forgot he forgot her in prison and other articles say that he actually left her there as a form of punishment for running away how can you forget your kid yeah I mean you could forget him anywhere except jail right but <laughs> but yeah so, he knew what he was doing. Definitely. He knew what he was doing. Sabía. So when they moved out of um out of the Wait, town, ¿y la mamá no dijo nada? No. She, the mom era like, she just nodded and left. Very passive. Yeah, very y todo passive. Lo que él decía. Didn't care whatever he said. Iba. He just left. Era, era como que le tenían miedo yeah. al señor. Yeah. So durante este tiempo, la familia se fue de la, de, eh, del pueblo. Se fueron a otro pueblo. Y se cambiaron el nombre. Durante este tiempo, como es el, el caso es muy viejo, no saben qué exactamente pasó. Unos dicen que el papá se las dejó en otro pueblo y se fue. Y hay otros que dicen que se quedó con ellas. Pero 
no está muy claro. Ok. En esta ocasión vamos a decir que se quedó con ellas. Ok. Durante este tiempo se cambiaron el apellido. Entonces ya no eran Torres Valenzuela. Se quitaron el apellido Torres y se pusieron González Valenzuela. Tomaron el apellido de la mamá. Así la, 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 las personas no, tu, no tendrían rasgos de ellos a donde fueron. You know, because especially it's a small town, like it word spreads of yeah. where you're from or whatever. So they decided to just cut off the dad's last name and keep the mom's um, maiden name, basically. Got it. Y durante este tiempo que la familia estaba averiguando lo que iban a hacer, Carmen todavía está en la cárcel. Carmen pasa 14 meses en la cárcel tratando de convencer a, a las policías que que ya era inocente, que ya no tenía que por estar allí, que no tenía que, que estar allí, pero como era en esos tiempos y era hija de este policía que traicionó a, al pueblo, no la querían dejar ir. So they were punishing her too. Yeah, basically yeah. So they ended up um, leaving her there for 14 months until a man, which they they don't say their exact name. But this man that's 50 years old paid to take her out of jail with the promise of marrying her when she get out of jail. Of course. Yes. Also, it's the time. Let's also keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. It's not right, but it's also the time of, of, of year that we're in that time. And this year, um, ¿cuántos años tenía? They say she was like, yeah. she was young. She was fairly young. So she was like probably 16 years old. She okay. wasn't that. She wasn't old. an adult. She, yeah, because when she ran away, when she tried to run away, I think she was 14, 15 years old. Oh, okay. Entonces so, estaba joven. Yeah, so she's, she's still a kid. Young. Yeah. Pero igual, el hombre tenía 50 años. Entonces, he was like way older than her. So when she gets out of prison, she ends up leaving with this man and ends up getting pregnant from this man. Sadly, this man decides to leave because apparently... He didn't want a family, so la deja y Carmen decide pues quedarse allí un tiempo más a averiguar qué hace. And during this time, Carmen decides to get into a relationship with this man llamado José Vargas, o más conocido como El Gato. He taught her everything that she needed to know about running a bar. They decided to get into this relationship by a small little bar in, in their colonia and just run the business. Miraculously, the business was doing really well. They got a lot of profit. They were getting a lot of money. Pero el gato, más bien, no sabía cómo manejar las ganancias. Mm. Y se gastó todo el dinero en el alcohol, o gambling, or anything else other than keeping the bar run. So with the small profit that she gained from the bar, she decided to take her son, and herself away from um, the town and follow her sisters back to where they were moved to. Okay. So during this time, it was 1935 when the sisters were in, in, um, in the, I forgot what town it is. They were in a different town. Pero ellas decidieron, como el padre, en esta situación dicen que el padre se murió o el padre no estaba durante ese tiempo y la familia estaba eh, no, no tenían recursos económicos entonces las, las hermanas decidieron um, trabajar en una textilería like a textile factory uh -huh. y de allí estaban haciendo ingresos lo bueno es de que durante este tiempo el papá no saben qué pasó con él porque dicen que él igual era muy machista hasta el punto de decir que las mujeres no podían trabajar porque Trabaja, porque por si ellas trabajaban, um, the father wasn't doing the proper job of providing for the family. It was like very weird thinking that they couldn't have a job, they couldn't put any makeup, they couldn't wear certain clothes because it was all inappropriate. And it was his job to put them in their place, basically. Hmm. So, you see, you see, si iban a trabajar, it would be like almost like, it would almost be like people would feel like, He He's not doing his job as yeah. a provider, and yeah. he'll feel ashamed. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, that, it's during... It was during that, that time. That year, the, the era. Yeah. So, during this time, 
the, las hermanas empezaron a, a tener ingresos y no está claro, pero dicen que durante este tiempo los padres se habían fallecido y les dejaron una herencia muy pequeña, pero suficiente para hacer un negocio. Entonces, con la experiencia que tenía Carmen y la experiencia que ellas tenían en trabajar, decidieron combinar el dinero y abrir un burdel. So, in case um, you don't know what a burdel is, it, it means that it's um, a home where men could go and find um, sexual pleasure from sex workers. Ah, okay. Pero durante este tiempo, en, en Jalisco, porque está situado en Jalisco, era ilegal tener un burdel. So you have to have a bar or you would have to have a burdel before it became illegal. So en este tiempo, they basically created a burdel right when it was the cutoff line to have licensing to have one. Pero como eran mujeres y eran empresarias, hicieron todo lo posible para tratar de sobornar a los oficiales, a los policías, a los políticos y a quien sea que les pudiera dar las calificaciones para poder tener burdel. So, in many of the articles that I read, they suggested that these women would offer the youngest, quote-unquote, virgin of the group to these um, officials in order for them to give them the paperwork that was required for them to run the burdel as a kind of like a trade-off. Like, I'll give you the youngest virgin one, yeah. and you give me what I need to run my business. I know. It's, it's so much like, corruption. It's always been there. Yeah, it's, it's always been there. It's no surprise at this point. Yeah, exactly. It's been going on for years and, uh -huh. and decades. And, yeah. Yep. A este burdel le llamaron el Guadalajara de Noche. ¿El Guadalajara de Noche? Uh -huh. um, Delfina convirtió ese lugar como un lugar de citas, where soldiers and officers and politicians can meet sex workers and do what they wanted to. Sadly, during this point, they needed to find more women that wanted to work for them. So what they did was, around their, their, their pueblo, iban a las... A, a las a los campos que estaban más cercanos a buscar a las mujeres más bonitas de cada, de, de cada campo. Entonces iban a los pueblos chiquitos y escogían a la más bonita y les pagaba a, la, a los padres dinero um, con promesas de que ellas iban a trabajar en la ciudad y iban a agarrar dinero y que ellas les iban a mandar dinero a ellos. Pero obviamente no les decía qué trabajo iban a hacer. Yeah, exactly. So they didn't know what they were doing. They were just promised that they were going to have a good job yeah. with good income and work at, a, like, como empleadas domésticas. So, y they needed money, so. Yeah, so for them was like, they had these promises and they didn't know, they didn't know any better. They didn't yeah. know what these their, their children were going to be put into or the situations that they were going to go through. Because mind you, they didn't know anything about this. This was like one of Mexico's like biggest crimes during the era. So they didn't know what their childs were like, they were gonna be put into. So they went ahead, they got the money that they offered and they gave away their daughters. Yeah, I know. It's a tragic, tragic situation. Yeah. Pero that was like the only way that they got people, women to work for them. Yeah, y imagino estas familias hubieran, they would have known que lo que estaban iban a hacer, they wouldn't have let their daughters go. Yeah. En 1948, después de una discusión a pistola, las, ahorita, las autoridades um, clausuraron el burdel y les quitaron la luz y las hermanas tenían que irse con las muchachas a otro lugar. En 1954, las hermanas se mudaron a Lagos de Morenos, en Jalisco. Eh, durante este tiempo, cuando se fueron a las fiestas del pueblo, se encontraron con el um, alcalde de la, con, de la, del, del pueblo y le ofrecieron que si podían, si, if they could get like an agreement with him to let them have their burdel there. And he said, 
I'll give you all the permissions a cambio de sexual favors. So they had to either give away, again, their virgin, um, their youngest virgin in, in their facilities, or they themselves had to put themselves in that situation in order to get the qualifications that they needed. That's so gross. I'm sorry. Like, these people are gross. Yeah. These politicians, like, they're just... Yeah. That's so disgusting, That what they do. Yeah. And, and especially during oh that time where nothing can be put on record. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. Like, obviously you're going to say what happened in the end, but, like, this person's not the only politician that did this. Mm-hmm. There's... I mean, it's not just politician, but authorities, policías, yeah. todo eso. Yeah. It's just, it's disgusting that people do this. Yeah. I know. And and the sad part is that most of these girls were ranging from the ages of 12 to 15. Years no. Old. So they weren't even, like, women. They were literally children that were being put into these situations. Um, and it's just tragic how these men didn't even put that into perspective you know no les importaron que eran niñas yeah that they didn't they didn't care that the, the fact that they these were children these could be your children or like your sisters or whatever it's like no they didn't care these could also be your granddaughters they didn't fucking care like they the only thing they were thinking about yeah, was their needs yeah that's all they cared about yeah which is it's completely tragic during this time they started running out of options to go to different pueblos because word started to spread around that something was off with their business and the and their burdel because they knew it was a burdel but they didn't know how they were getting these girls. Mm. So word started to spread around that many of these girls that would go in would never come out. And um, the the hermanas decidieron este conseguir a secuestradores que fueran a otras ciudades fuera de Jalisco para traer a las muchachas a, a su burdel. And they would offer sexual favors by giving them one of the girls or by giving them money, um, anything that would help them bring the girls to them since they couldn't get the ones that were around the, the pueblo they were Just in. so people wouldn't get more suspicious. Exactly. Cuando las muchachas entraban al burdel, eran violadas, golpeadas, torturadas psicológicamente y obligar a trabajar ese mismo día. Las poquianchis las ve, la, les vendían ropa y comida y cosas que necesitaban como maquillaje o cosas para arreglarse para que se vieran más, I guess, desirable, mm-hmm. say? Yeah. Y ellas se los vendían a precios muy altos. Y las endeudado, like, they would get in debt with them. To the point that these women knew that they couldn't get out of the business alive. They were always going to be there. Yes. Or, yeah. 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 Because they couldn't pay with the money that they would receive from doing these jobs. They couldn't pay the, the hermanas for the debt that they had with them. I know. It's it's really sad. It is. Let's it's just just imagine. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, no, but fine. just imagining like what these girls felt yeah. in that moment. Like, can't even imagine what they felt. It's that's horrific. Yeah, like you're trapped. Yeah, like you 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 had an option to work and to work work until you couldn't work anymore. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't have any options. It's like, you're here and you're going to be here until... Yeah. And they couldn't get out. Yeah, you escape, but they'll probably find you and it's going to be worse. Yeah. And Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Like, for them, they knew if they tried to escape, they... Ellas tenían suficiente... Like, they had... They had the resources. Yeah, they had oh, yeah. releases in their payroll. They oh, had, like, people always, you know, looking for them or looking after them. So there was no way that they could escape without facing any sort of consequences um and then they know they couldn't talk to the police because the police are the ones that were coming into the burdel and yeah. you know they couldn't using, trust anyone yeah so they just had to do what they had to do 
So these girls were mostly considered to be of use up to the point that they reached 25 years old. So think about it. Están en los burdeles desde los 12, 15 oh, años hasta los 25 años. Cuando llegaban los 25 años, habían dos opciones. Si se quedaban, eran las madrotas, se dice, mm. o mm -hmm. eran asesinadas. Oh, my God. Yeah. There's no way out. No. Ah. And, y si se convertían en las madrotas, como les dicen, eran cómplices del crimen. Yeah. Entonces, ellas eran obligadas a cuidar de las muchachas, ver que no estuvieran haciendo algo que no debían que hacer. Um, tenían que arreglarlas, tenían que castigarlas, y a veces las tenían hasta que matar. Oh, my God. Yeah. So... I don't know if you remember that. I forgot. I know it's a it's a it's a case study where it was that that prison case study where you had to you were the prisoner and you were the the de detainee mm -hmm. and the power that the dynamic the control. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like that where yeah. they were in the same situation, but then one of them has a little bit of power and now they're forced to do something towards the people that they even, like, lived with. They were in the same situation, but they had a, a power towards them because of just what the sisters decided to do with them. So, yeah. These women were in charge of controlling the rest of the women. They were also in charge of murdering the women or the clients, and they were in charge of conducting abortions to the women that became pregnant. So you might say clients why they would murder clients but according to some articles there were men that would come into the bar flashing money they would flash that they had money jewelry they would buy drinks they would you know just flaunt that they had money and they would get them drunk enough to the point that they would kill them and steal the money and throw their body into the patio that was one of the gruesome cases that would happen to their clients, too. So it wasn't only the women and the un unborn children or the children that would actually be born. It was also clients that they felt they could steal from. The sisters would also obtain uh, medical certificates that doctors claimed that they had these women examined. Porque muchos de estos burdeles, they would run with uh, doctor approvals. So... Especially if they had, like, the licensing. They needed a license que decía que las mujeres estaban limpias, no tenían ningún um, STD, y uh, estaban healthy, and um, they were well in hygiene. Um, so that's kind of, like, the demand that the government wanted out of them. But since these women didn't care about these young girls... They would actually pay their way with the doctors also. So the doctors would either have sexual relationships with the young women or they would get paid. I'm hoping all these people got arrested in the end. I know you're going to get there, but I'm just really hoping because this is just abusing their power. Yeah, I know. As their business started to flourish, the I'm sisters... I'm getting upset over here, sorry. I'm just like, <laughs> I know, why? You're, you're still in shock. I'm like, just like... Yeah. This is like why this case was so hard for me to do sometimes because yeah. a part of me was like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of crap. Like, it is. It's a um, lot of abuse and violence and yeah. murders and. Yeah. And it's a lot of business that was going under the table. Exactly. Too. Like at this, at, at this point in time of the case, you realize that you really couldn't trust anybody because there was always somebody benefiting from the crime. Yeah. So exactly. these women and these girls had nowhere to turn because basically the these sisters were paying everybody off. Pues imagínate si una muchacha se escapa y se topa con un policía y le cuenta lo que pasó. He's probably in it too. Yeah. And he's like, well, get in my car and then we'll go to the station. 
No. And then takes them right to the police. Go back there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for them, it was hard to trust anybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As the business flourished, the sisters decided to move their business to San Francisco del Rincón in Guanajuato, where owning and running a burdel at the time was completely illegal. It so, was legal? Yeah. So they couldn't get fined for anything. They didn't need any paperwork. They didn't need any doctor's approval. They didn't need anything. Nothing. Nothing. It was easy peasy for them now. I and mean, it was cheaper for yeah. them to run. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was it was literally easier for them to run their business through there. They opened the burdel with the same exact name, Guadalajara del, uh, del Noche. So basically, it was like a franchise. They had one in Jalisco and they had one in, in Guanajuato. Maria de Jesus, una de las uh, hermanas, hermanas más grandes, se topó con un burdel que era el mismo negocio pero lo diferente es de que este lugar era lujoso, con mucho prestigio, que obtenía um, mujeres más hermosas. Like, they were, like, picked really well. They they actually seemed like they were enjoying their, their work because they were sex workers. Mm. So they weren't young girls or anything. They were, like, women, regular women. Esto, they weren't being like forced in yeah, the situation. Yeah. Y esto María de Jesús lo vio como algo que she wanted to obtain. Yeah, le llamó la atención. Yeah. Este burdel se llamaba el Poquianchis. El encargado del burdel, which was an interesting fact that I had no idea, um, was actually a man. And he was a homosexual. Hmm. So he basically didn't want to sleep with any of these women. He was just wanted to run this business. Y también, durante este tiempo, María de Jesús uh, decidió abrir su propio burdel aparte del de sus hermanas y le puso... Este, este burdel no tenía... Like, it didn't meet the qualifications to be, ran, like, to be run in the city. Porque no tenían luz, no tenían agua. And she had to do a lot of fixtures to it. Mm. But... This is where it all comes comes out. She offered her sexual services to the secretario de la municipal to let her run her burdel the way that it was in order for her to, you know, just run her business. And the, the secretario was like, fine, I'll let you have all the paperwork that you need. I'll fix anything. I'll run the light, whatever. But you're going to be the person that I go to when I want to have sex. So you're going to be here for me whenever I need anything. Quiero que me invite usted a su recámara para que hablemos del permiso. Yo hasta los oídos se me pusieron rojitos, ¿no? Y se me enchinó el cuerpo. Dije, este viejo no quiere el permiso. Aquí me lo puede decir delante de todos. Yo ya yo comprendí que iba por otro lado. Pero pues dije, pues ni hablar. Pues ándale, pues le dije, pase, licenciado, lo pase, lo pase a mi recámara. Me abraza y me dice, me siento en el bordo de la cama. Yo quiero, yo lo que quiero, Esperancita, es estar contigo. Y luego yo te voy a ceder el permiso a como de lugar. Sí, it's like, um, like her. Yeah. It's finding, no sé, no, no, no sé cómo encuentran ese valor de ir a preguntarle a alguien sin saber qué tal si esta persona le dice no, like you're gonna run something that's illegal that's not okay mm -hmm. they're running the risk of someone saying like no, no la pueden encarcelar y todo like they're yeah. running that risk yeah but it sounds like they would always get yes yeah which is something that that never stopped them because, oh no, todo fue fácil para yeah, ellas because no official ever said no all the officials said yes And it, it, it just shows the, the, the time period of this. I mean, I'm not saying that it probably doesn't run today, but mm -hmm. according to how things were running back then, it, it was a little bit more out in the open and less secretive compared to now. You yeah. know, now you can't do any of that stuff because we have records of everything. But back in the day, I mean, you could literally ask for anything and get anything in return. <laughs> It almost seems like there was literally no law 
Yeah. It was just kind of like in paper, but anything is possible, mm-hmm. basically. A poco tiempo, María de Jesús se ganó la, la, la confianza de las autoridades. Y como su, sus hermanas tenían el mismo protección. So they had the protections of the government and the police officers and basically ran her business out of this janky place that just kept running, even though it didn't qualify to be a burdel. Poco tiempo después de abrir su burdel, María de Jesús se encontró otra vez con el poquianchis y ella le ofreció 25 mil pesos para comprarle su burdel. Él, he said yes, he sold his burdel y ellas, cuando agarraron el negocio, lo trataron de cambiar el nombre a La Barca de Oro because it was more luxurious, more mm-hmm. prestige. Pero um, sus clientes frecuentes no querían que le cambiaran el nombre. So, le seguían, habla- le seguían diciendo el, po- el poquianchis to the, to the burdel. Which, ironically, changed their whole name to Las Poquianchis. Yeah. That's where they got it from. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, the sisters didn't like that they were being called Las Poquianchis because it has no meaning behind it. It's mm. from this homosexual man and... Um, they, they, they didn't want that to define them, but it was a name that just stuck with them throughout the throughout Out of history. Everything they did, this was what bothered them. <laughs> the name. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Exactly. Jesus. It's pretty ironic, but yeah. In 1948, Carmen, the um, uh, mayor, falleció. Ella era la encargada de los libros, de administración. She was basically in charge of all the paperwork within the company. Well, in, in the burdel. Mm-hmm. Y la desesperación de, Dalf, de, de Delfina, which she's the old, oldest sister of them all, she felt in a very desperate necessity because she had nobody to run her business. Especially mm. because she didn't know how to read. No sabía. Oh, okay. So she didn't know how to read. She didn't know how to administrate her money. She didn't know how to administrate anything within the, the burdel. She was just basically in charge to run the place, but not administrate it. So, durante este tiempo, ella le suplicó a las muchachas de su burdel que rezaran por su hermana. So, mind you, even throughout these murders, through the whole you know, raping of these women and the the secuestro y todo, they still believed in a higher power. They always believed in God. They always they were very religious. They held their religion to a higher standard. And to the point that she said, pray for my sister, um, get her spirit to the higher being, and I'll get to the point where I'll forget all your debt and I'll even think about letting you go. Yeah, right. Yeah, which is, <laughs> yeah. So the sister passed away, and she still didn't let them go. All she right. probably forgave their debt, but didn't let them go. María Luisa, que es la menor de todas las hermanas, agarró su poco dinero que salvó de trabajar con Delfina y se, se mudó. En, en unos artículos dice que Ella dejó el, el negocio. She wasn't into the prostitution. She was... She was just, not connected to anything. Yeah, she said that she just left Tamaulipas and forgot about anything in in, um, in Guanajuato and Jalisco. And others say that she actually opened up her own burdel in um, Tamaulipas, llamado Guadalajara de Noche, and would write letters to her sister asking her for, quote-unquote, mercancía, which meant... Bring me, more women? Yeah, bring me girls to my burdel. Bring me, basically bring me your highest paid to my burdel. So that, because it, it, like I said, it's, this is like from so long ago where record wasn't being kept. So they don't really know what's the truth. Mercancia, that reminds me of the other case that I covered a while back when the, el, El guy le decía a las niñas muñecas. Oh, yeah. Oh, I hate that. Got that same feeling. Like, yeah. mercancía. Like, in the, it just takes away 
them being a person. Yeah, it takes it's just an object. Yeah, they they were seen as an object, as a thing. Yeah, as something that's uh, exchanged or, or transferable. Yeah, and no sense of um, humanity. No, nothing. That. Yeah. So these women, um, whenever they got pregnant, las madrotas, como se dice. Fueron encargados de hacerles abortos clandestinos. So, mind you, these women didn't have anything that was properly clean. Yeah. Properly, like, you know, certain... They didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. There was no way of, of doing a proper abortion. So, most of these women that were having these abortions would either pass away when they were getting the abortion or bleed to death after having an abortion. Also... If these women became pregnant and it was too late for an abortion, they would actually have the child full term. And when they had their child, if it was a boy, they would take her all the way to el techo de arriba and push them from the techo. Because oh, these, wow. these, these women that were working with her, they didn't have the strength to throw her out or kill her because they were so weak uh-huh. that they would... All of them would hustle her up to the techo and push her off. If they had a boy? Yeah. And if they in and when they would just deliver. Uh-huh. But if in case that they were pregnant and they had daughters, uh-huh. they would keep the daughters and raise them in the burdel till they were old enough to be used. Uh, espera, espera. Entonces, ¿al niño también lo mataban? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't, they, they weren't allowed to have sons. They were only allowed to have women or girls. Wow. And they would raise those girls to be part to of... To be part of, just, it was going to stay in there. Yeah. Las hermanas surgen ser muy religiosas, como había mencionado antes. Y aunque tenían el burdel donde cometían crímenes horrendos... Habían unos pecados que ellas creían que eran lo más horrible que podían hacer sus mujeres o sus niñas de, del burdel. Tenían reglas como que no podían besarse con los clientes, no podían tener orgías o uh-huh. actos lésbicos con, okay. con la misma persona y no podían tener sexo anal. Those were their highest form of pecados que no podían cometer or else they would get killed if they did any of those things. Y they went to the point where in their whole, like, burdel hacían hoyos para ver... To peek. Yeah. Oh, my God. So they could see within the rooms to see that they weren't committing these like, you know, these pe- pecados. Yeah. So they were they would make pe- peepholes all around their burdel to keep an eye on them. And it wasn't only the sisters, it was also their madrotas, como se dicen. So, ellas también tenían que ver que ellas no hicieran eso. O si no, iban a ser maltratadas. Or they would get, you know, they would put, get placed in a, a place where they were starved to death. Or um, they would be killed. Wow. Yeah. Pero, las hermanas obtenieron en una circunstancia de, de, de tener este burdel y, y sus reglas. Casi como a los últimos meses que tuvieron su burdel corriendo. Vinieron dos mujeres extranjeras de Estados Unidos. Which is weird because you don't really picture it. Pero dicen que ellas obtenieron estas mujeres en cambio de, de dos de sus mujeres que, que tenían ellas. Las más preciadas. Uh-huh. So they, they kind of traded with somebody. I don't know what, how who or, or how okay. it came about. But that's like kind of the, the way that it went. Okay. Y como eran mujeres extranjeras, muchos de sus clientes querían estar con ellas. So what they would do was that clients would ask for them and they would take them. Y en uno de esos, um, las hermanas vieron que estas mujeres extranjeras estaban teniendo actos lésbicos con un, uno de sus clientes. Y María de Jesús declaró en una entrevista diciendo, este fue el gran pecado y su mala suerte. So basically, this was kind of the sister's downfall. This pecado was God's way of saying, "This you, you couldn't be doing this. 
now this is where like your basically your emperor like your empresa guy this was it not everything yeah, else not everything it was else. this but this moment of two u.s women doing lesbian acts is gonna be your downfall broke the rules yeah because you broke the rules not because you know no you mataron y secuestraron y yeah. or no murder. nothing nothing nope nope it was all because of those two lesbian women basically according to el milenio en el 1962, las autoridades decidieron cerrar todos los burdeles to officially make it illegal. Entonces, ellas compraron el rancho llamado Loma del Ángel en Guanajuato y lo transformaron en un like a prostitute establishment where they would have all these rooms and men would come to the, to the rancho. And basically a burdel without having any sort of paperwork or trace mm -hmm. of their location. Le buscaban y le buscaban ellas. Yeah. Nothing would stop them. I'm telling you. They were, they, they were, if you take all of the kind of, you know, the, all the bad stuff out, basically, mm -hmm. they hustled their way through this whole situation. If you take out 99% of everything they did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they they literally pushed and pushed to do something so they can get money yeah. out of it. They could have pushed it into other, other, things. other things and done <laughs> other great things, but no, deciden hacer esto. Exactly. Después del fallecimiento de Ramón Torres, el Tepocat, que viene siendo el hijo de María de Jesús, las autoridades hicieron clausurar el rancho para ser investigado. Pero ellos no tenían ninguna idea que había una habitación donde había 20 mujeres que estaban... They, they were malnourished. They were dirty. They were basically dying and they were sick. 20 in one room. 20 women in one room. A los pocos días, al rancho le cortaron la luz y el agua. Y en este momento... María de Jesús planeaba irse con las muchachas y establecer otro burdel en otra ciudad. Wait, okay, hold on. I don't know if I... Okay. On that, um... Okay. okay llega la policía, um, yeah. llega la policía, encuentra yeah. 20 mujeres en un cuarto. Yes. Y no, no cuestionan. No, 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 no. no. Oh, esto fue. So, the, the murder of, of María Jesús' son happens. Uh -huh. Yes. And they close the establishment. But they didn't go into the establishment. Oh, okay, they didn't go in. I was like, wait, they went in and they didn't get arrested? Okay. Yeah. So they didn't go in to investigate. Yeah. They just closed it down because they knew that they were doing the burdel again because they transferred the burdel into this rancho. So they were like, okay, no, you can't do this. You can't run this establishment. We're cutting everything off and you can't run this. So in their assumption yeah. was they cut it off and the women left. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so that's even worse. Like, they yeah. didn't even go in to no, check. No. So, they closed the burde, they, they closed the rancho. Yeah. They took the water and the lights out. They were running out of food. They were running out of, um, well, basically, they were dying. The girls were dying. Mm -hmm. They were already malnourished. So, they were already dying of dehydration, of uh, the lack of food, um, and any sort of disease that they were carrying at the time. And during this time, Maria Jesus was thinking of taking the ones that were still alive mm -hmm. and taking them to a different establishment and start all over again. But during this time, she was taking a really long time to the point that they stayed there for six months without water, without nothing, electricity, nothing, nada, the lack of food, and women constantly dying in the ranch. So every single time, Somebody would die, they would just throw it in a pozo. Basically. Just throw y estas otras hermanas acá bien comiditas y bien yeah. acá bien de lujo y todo, y las otras pobres ahí. Mm -hmm. That was exactly what was going on. During this time, when they were trying to transfer the women out of Guanajuato, una de las mujeres de nombre Catalina Ortega escapó through a small little hole in the fence and ran out of town. She escaped, got in contact with her mom, 
and left the ranch. On January 6, 1964, Catalina arrived to the judicial police office in Guanajuato along with her mother to testify about what the sisters had done. Luckily for her, the officers that were taking her case weren't on the sisters' payroll. Yeah. Thank God. I know. So what they did was they go to the burdel, arrest the sisters, and open up the biggest can of worms in the history of Mexico City. And the Mexicabronas. There you go. (laughs) They got caught. Yes. But the most astonishing part of the whole thing was that the same day that this young woman goes into the police office, there was a reporter there. And the reporter starts telling all of the other reporters about this atrocious case and becomes one of the most publicized cases of the century. As soon as they go to the to the rancho, all these uh, periodistas come with the police officer and start taking pictures of everything. They start taking pictures of the sisters, of the ranch, of the plots of land with dead bodies, the rooms of the of the women that were malnourished, women that were dead inside the home, like just the living situation that they were in. So, with the pros and the cons, there's enough pictures to show the atrocious case through photographs. And and the sad part is that we also have these pictures that it's horrifying to see. I can imagine. Yeah. Catalina explained what the sisters did to them while they're in captivity. She also showed symptoms of malnourish and old scars that she had received from living in the in the ranch and in the burdel. The sisters were parade throughout the town, where the townspeople wanted to lynch them for their crimes. While investigating the ranch, they found 17 women and children um, within the home. También encontraron un cementerio clandestino del que recuperaron cuerpos de 90 mujeres en, enterradas, fetos calcinados mm. y huesos perteniendo a cuerpos humanos. The sisters were taken to the police station where the trial began. During this time, the young sister, the young sister Maria Luisa, returned to Guanajuato because word was spreading around about the crimes that the sisters had made. They were all accusing her of being part of her sister's crimes. Even though, you know, she left at some of the high peak periods of it. And she really could have not come back. Uh, Luisa was detained and accused of practicing witchcraft because of the bones she was carrying and the hierbas that were in her clothes. So they automatically thought she was a Satanist and she was hmm. using the bones from the crime to commit some sort of witchcraft, which wasn't true. She was just carrying it because it was hierbas que tenía, pero no era to practice any sort of witchcraft. But during the time, everybody believes somebody's doing witchcraft. She was running back to her sisters because she was afraid that if she didn't leave town, she was going to be lynched and killed by everybody in town, where she was from, in Tamaulipas. Tres de las hermanas fueron acusadas de homicidio Lenocidio, tráfico de persona, crimen organizado, inmunación ilegal de restos humanos, aborto, corrupción de menores, privación ilegal de la libertad, soborno, y fueron condenadas a 40 años de prisión. Yes, that was la pena máxima during that time. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Yeah, I know. Why am I surprised? Really? Why? I know. I know. Something like you shouldn't be surprised. 40 años. 40 años. Por todo. El, For all of that. 
40 years. <laughs> I know. According to journalist Elisa Robledo, las hermanas eran más bien las autoridades intelectuales de los asesinatos, obligando a otros a cometer el trabajo sucio. Pero sí fueron responsables de la tortura de las mujeres y niñas que pasaron por su burdel y del crimen de trata de blancos. ¿En dónde están ahorita las hermanas? You know, you should ask uh -huh. yourself. Yeah. Prison? Wait. <laughs> well, it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. So María de Jesús declaró que no practicaban rituales satánicos, ni, sa ni sacrificaban animales, y no eran brujas. Solo cometían crímenes que ayudaban a seguir, su prote a seguir y proteger su negocio. That was literally what she said. They were doing crimes just to protect themselves and their business. Después de ser encarceladas, se dice que Delfina enloqueció, which is the oldest sister, because, you know, she was the one that was, she was the one that was, she was like the main head out of the, all the sisters, the one that was the, the evilest, basically. Mm. El 17 de octubre de 1968, Delfina murió después de unos, después de que unos albañiles estaban arreglando una gotera de su, de su celda. Y en esos momentos dicen los albañiles que ella estaba llorando. She wasn't stopping. She was crying and crying and crying. And the albañil that was fixing the, the, the water dice que se le cayó una cubeta de cemento on her head. So she was hit in the head with a bucket of cement. They don't know if it was on purpose or if it was an accident or what exactly happened, but that was how she passed away. She, they said, That's how she passed away. Yep. That's how she passed away. They also said, it's not clear, but they said some articles say that she died within two weeks of her injuries and like suffered a lot. And others says that she died at the, uh, when she like got in the hit. moment. Yeah. I mean, so with the cemento. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mario Lisa um, murió de cancer en 1984. Y María de Jesús obtuvo su libertad y inmediatamente um, trajo matrimonio después de salir de la cárcel, pero murió en su casa. So she basically died peacefully in her home. Wait, when, when were they incarcerated? They were incarcerated in, incarcerated in 19... I think it said it's 64? I think, no, they were in uh, 1965. Oh, okay. Yeah, they had 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. En 1967. So, ¿no hizo los 40 años entonces? No. No, no los hizo. No, so, 19. Sorry. No, so, <laughs> she was incarcerated, and you know how good conduct <laughs> takes you all way? Uh-huh. Well, she was incarcerated. She was behaved properly. Uh -huh. She made food for the incarcerated. She cleaned. She was a proper citizen, and she was, um... She was a good person in prison. Yeah. <laughs> And she was let go within a, a couple of, uh, I think it was a little bit over 10 years after she was sentenced. Okay. Um, so that's how that went. Um, but in um, 1976, 12 years after the case was open, Felipe Casals llevó el caso de las, de las poquianchis a la pantalla grande. Y hizo una película llamada Las Poquianchis. Mm. Y, en, y un año después de esta película, el escritor Jorge Ibargens Gortia, I'm butchering that one really bad because it's a long last name, escribió un, un libro llamado Las Muertas, about the case. Pero en 1992, la periodista Elisa Robledo estuvo, um, tuvo largas conversaciones con la hermana um, más chica, y um, publicó un libro llamado Las Poquianchis, Por Dios que sí. So it's Las Poquianchis and then mm -hmm. Por Dios que sí. Because, you know, they were really religious or mm -hmm. whatever. And most of you can also, if you've watched Mujeres Asesinas, can recall this case being part of season three of um, Mujeres Asesinas. And um, they're called Las Cucharias or something like that. Um, but yeah, that, that case is basically somewhat similar similar to this case. 
Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of Mexico's um, most prol- prolific cases. And in actually in 2002, I know it keeps going. In 2002, um, they were digging up um, this empty lot next to where the the burdel was placed at, and um, they were excavating, and they found um, around 50 um, dead bodies, basically like bones from dead bodies bone, bone fragments that were dated back to the 50s and 60s which most people um concluded that those were also part of Their Las Bocanchi's um uh, murders that were never identified so they also say that most of the murders that they um confessed to were 90 the 90 bodies that they found at the rancho but in reality, they they could have been way more way than less, that. Yeah, because they moved a lot so much that there's a probability that they killed when they were when they had their first burdel to their second to their third, and maybe even before that. So they don't really know. Yeah, producieron por varios años también. Yeah. Um, fueron acusadas de ser asesinas seriales, brujas y progenitales. Pero también se cree que su brutal caso pudo haber sido exagerado por los medios para vender más revistas y um, convertir las cuatro mujeres como las cuatro villanas de, la, de las épocas de los 60. And lastly, and this is the wild one because it's very controversial, according to the Guinness World Record, las poquianchis hold the most prolific murder partnership in the world. So as a as a group, they are officially named by Guinness to be the most um I guess biggest serial killer as a as a commune um in the world. So yeah. <laughs> ¿Qué pasó con con los um con los demás que están involucrados, like, like the, los políticos, las autoridades, did well, you find anything? That's kind of the shady part because, according to my research, none of the police or the government officials or the doctors or anybody was properly accused, charged? Like, charged for any of the crimes. Um, even though they were basically named, like, doctor this or uh-huh. you know, governor this or police. I mean, they had libros, todo escrito. Yeah. None of them got any sort of wow. sentencing. And that's what they find more interesting about the case is that yes, these women committed these murders, but also these women didn't commit these murders alone. Uh-huh. And um, because of the media coverage that was going on around that time, they said that they decided to put these women in such big pedestals of being the most prolific murderers of Mexico that they decided to kind of hide away the people that helped them become these murderers, basically. And, um, yeah, nothing happened to them, which is a, a, a tragedy. I was really hoping. I know. I kind of knew, yeah. I assume, but I was really hoping <laughs> that. Like, in the end, I was hoping that they I were going to really keep, hoping. but no, they yeah. didn't. So, yeah, that's the case of Las Poquianchis. That's still, wow. I'm still <laughs> shocked with everything. I know. Trust me. Um, doing this case and seeing all the photos and reading about it and really indulging into this case, it's it's insane Yeah. how, um, how much went into it and, and, and how little of uh, justice the women received from it. And um, the sad part is that we know all of these things about the women, but yet we don't know anything that happened with with the women that were victims of these crimes. Yeah. So like most, like most crimes or, or serial killer crimes, we know more about the killers than we do about the people that were murdered. Um, we glorify the murderers more than we... Um, we praise the victims. So, um, yeah, uh, even in this case, back in like the, the 40s and 60s, we don't get that um, piece of 
of what happened to them. We get what happened to the murderers, but not what happened to the victims. Yeah. Ojalá hayan recibido ayuda. Yeah. But, you know. Pobrecitas. It's, it's a difficult time during that, at that time, especially because yeah. nobody thought of, like, any, you know, mental health help during those ages either, so. It's just, no tenían corazón, I mean, para empujar a la mamá y al bebé recién yeah. nacido yeah. del techo. No, y, de, y todo lo demás, o sea. Yeah, everything. It's like one oh bad God. thing after another, exactly. after another, after another. It's just a, a tragic case. It is. Yeah. Um, that's the case for this week. Um, and if you have any opinions on the case, if you want to put any input or if you have any additional information, we would love to hear about it. Um, we are opening the conversation to you guys. Uh, you could send us a message on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, or even on TikTok, even if it's a small message or, a, you know, a, a video reply. Um, we want to hear about it, about, um, about it with you guys. Uh, so let us know if you have any information. Um, we'd love to hear about it. Um, you can find us um, on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok as SVSM underscore podcast. Or you can find us on Facebook as Sobrelentos Marcabra Podcast. Um, you can listen to our episodes on Spotify, Apple Music, Google um, Podcasts, and anywhere you can stream a podcast. Um, and yeah, uh, let us know what you think. Thanks for listening, guys. We're really excited about this, you know, new season. I know. Thank it's... you, like all of you guys, for the support. Yeah, it's super, uh, it's super exciting to be back. Um, yeah. Especially after having that long break. Yeah. Or not even long, but yeah, long for us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll have any polls on our Spotify so you could um, talk about it, leave us a question, answer the polls. Um, we'll put some stuff on Instagram stories that you guys could interact with. And um, yeah, we're excited to hear from you guys and uh, we're excited to be back. All right, so, well, have a great rest of your week. Yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Stay spooky. <laughs>